normal eye sees an object because light reflects off of that and goes through the lens of our eye. So I brought this large lens with me and the way that our eye would work is that tree over there, the light reflects off of it. The image of the light comes through the lens. And there's all kinds of other stuff within the eye for some of these who know that. But our eye sees that tree over there upside down. Then at the back of the eye, we have all of these nerves or the optic nerve that comes together that connects to our brain, which therefore then our brain sees and flips the object the right side up. So you wanna have a good eye, is that right? My right eye is distorted. The back of my right eye, the optic nerve, I have something called a coloboma. Basically, there's some tissue missing, and the back of my optic nerve is um, it's just weird-shaped. Uh, eye doctors love to look at my eye, and they'll call their other associate in, or I've been in places, went times when they had a student, they're like, you got to come see this guy's eye. And I'm like... Is it that bad? And they're like, well, what's amazing, you have this huge hole in the back of your eye, but yet you can see pretty good through your right eye. I don't know if, if you just love going to the eye doctor or not. I don't like going to the eye doctor because every year they give you that test where you put your head in like they, that igloo type of thing, and they got the dots all over, and, and you got to hit the button. And, and I do great in my left eye, but my right eye fails every time. I tell them, I'm like, you know what, I don't even need to test it. It's bad. I've got to call them. Like, no, just take it. Every time, I'm like just staring at the thing, waiting to hit the button. I'm like, I think I saw something. And so what happens, I have all these uh, blind spots. And so the images that are coming through my eye, because the distortion, I don't see clearly. My left eye does pretty good, um, but I don't have clear vision. So the doctors say, hey, when you're driving, always look over your right shoulder when you're changed lanes and don't just rely on the mirror. How many of you would agree with me that good eyesight and clear vision are very important? Anyone out there? Anyone at home? Um, some of you, um, my friend Howard that's here today, we've talked a number of times that uh, he can testify to you that when your eyesight declines or it's distorted, it can change your life. Uh, Howard uh, lost eyesight in one of his eyes a number of years ago and has almost lost his eyesight completely in his other eye. And you talk with him, it's not just a frustration, it's not just a life change, but it also can be quite depressing. The reason we're talking about eyesight and we're talking about eyes is Jesus uses the eye, the human eye, and talks about a lamp today uh, to describe how we see the truth and relates that to the religious leaders who he rebukes. And the problem they have is that they're blinded by religion. And so they have bad eyesight. The big idea this morning is this, uh, woe to all who put their hope in religion rather than hope in Jesus. Woe to all who put their hope in religion rather than hope in Jesus. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. I hope you have a Bible with you. Open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 11. We'll look at a larger passage of Scripture this morning, beginning in verse 33. We've seen Jesus uh, teaching his disciples how to pray. And last week we spent uh, quite a bit of time looking at the battle that rages spiritually around us. And today we look at this uh, image, this parable, this picture, this illustration of the eye and light and our hearts and religion. Beginning in verse 33, Jesus says, 
No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest you lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash, did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup of the, and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give, alms, uh, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you, you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. We've had the blessing this morning to hear from Jesus and his words. And may the Holy Spirit teach us this morning the truth and reveal uh, the light or the darkness that is within our hearts there is a, a clear message that Jesus teaches us this morning that he lays out for the disciples as he um, says all these woes toward them is that we are a people that need to have clear vision because our vision and what we see or we hear, or what we observe, it affects our hearts. So look at verses 33 through 36. He gives this illustration he says, no one lighting, uh, after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar under a basket, uh, but on a stand so it lights up the house. And so in Palestine at that time, uh, they would have had a, a lamp that they could hold in their hand that was filled with oil. They would light it and they'd put it on a stand or they could take it from room to room. And he says, you don't just light the lamp and then put it under a basket. You don't light a lamp and go put it in the cellar. You light it to do what? To what? So you can see, to light up the room, to get rid of the darkness. And so he says, you light it and you don't cover it up. 
But what's more important is this spiritual truth that he's teaching us in verses 34 through 36. He says, the, uh, the eye is the lamp of your body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your uh, eye is bad, your whole body is full of what? Darkness. He says, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. So again, back to what we talked about. If your eye is working correctly... You're going to see the light is going to uh, reveal the objects and your brain then can uh, process that so that you can see that correctly. But if you have bad eyesight or you have a distortion or a flaw, that light may show up differently. You may not see the full picture. It's going to affect all of your life. And the spiritual truth is this. Jesus says, if you have a healthy eye, you have a healthy heart. But if you have a bad eye, you're going to have a bad heart. If you have a healthy eye, your life, your life is going to be full of, of light, of the truth of God. But if you have a bad eye, it's going to be full of darkness and you're going to reject the truth of God. The Apostle Paul prayed that the church would have their eyes of their hearts enlightened. I'm going to read in just a minute Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. But the way that your heart works is you observe, you see, you hear, you witness things in this world, and it goes through your brain to your heart, and you process those types of things, and your response reflects what your heart is really seeing, or the eyes of your heart. And so it's important, as Jesus says, to have good eyes. The Apostle Paul prayed this in Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Something that probably we should pray for each other this morning. Um, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So here's the thing, is that the Apostle Paul was praying that the church would have eyes that are open to see the wonderful truths of God's word. I probably say it every single week to you that if we want to grow in our knowledge of God, we need to be in the word of God so that the Holy Spirit would open up the eyes of our heart to understand and apply that. The Apostle Paul is praying that the church's eyes would be open to the truths of God. And he mentions um, the uh, glorious inheritance of the saints. Just one of the many spiritual blessings that if you're a follower of Christ, God has, the Father has adopted you as his own son or daughter because of the work of Christ on, on the cross and your faith in him. And he's prepared an inheritance in eternity for you. Not just some place where there's streets of gold, but it's in a relationship with the God who gives you life and breath for eternity. And he's like, I just pray that God would open your eyes to see that glorious truth, to be reminded of that wonderful blessing of the many others there. A problem that many people in church face today is the same problem that we see with the Pharisees and these scribes, which Jesus addresses next the hearts, the eyes of their heart are closed to the truth of God's word. And therefore, what they think they're doing in church 
is giving them life is really walking in darkness and away from the light of Christ. So the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they saw Jesus do miracles. They heard his teaching about the kingdom of God. They observed his life and what he did, and yet they repeatedly rejected the truth of Jesus Christ uh, because their eyes were bad, and they did not want to take in the truth of God's words. So they closed their hearts, they took that lamp and they put the basket over it or they took it and put it down in the cellar. So the Pharisee says, Jesus, come over to our house. Let's have a meal together. And Jesus always seems to show up whenever he's invited, he goes to have a meal. And so there's all these Pharisees and all these scribes, if you don't know anything about these types of guys, they were leaders. They're like pastors uh, uh, among the, the nation of Israel, and they were to lead the people in the worship of God. They were to be the experts on God's word to teach the people how to worship God. So Jesus goes to join them, and we see this in verse 37 through 44. We see that they have a distortion in their eyes. Let's look at this distor the distorted eyes of religious leaders. The Pharisees have these lenses that are focused on judging other people. And their lenses are set on their ways and they're set on their religion and set on their tradition. So when they see people trying to follow God, they're only going to make a judgment call by what they see in their lens. They have the meal, Jesus sits down, and the Pharisees are like, oh, Jesus didn't wash his hands. And you're like, yeah, we teach our kids, go wash your hands. I don't know where your hands have been, go wash your hands, we're going to eat right now. It's not that though. You see, the Pharisees, it wasn't just washing your hands to get the dirt off them. They had added these types of rules where they're like, hey, you need to go wash ceremonially so that you're not unclean in your heart when you come to the And they would go through these traditions. And this is what Jesus did not do. He just sat down. He didn't say, I'm not going to wash my hands. He just sat down and started to get ready to eat. And they're like, well, what happened? You know, it's like I, I can think of times in churches or gatherings of Christian people in which someone makes a judgment call on another. I still can remember clearly at a church I was at years ago watching a young man come in and sit in the back of the church and he had a baseball cap on. And I watched a man who was in a suit walk from one section up front all the way to the back and make his way through the row and grab the young man's baseball hat and set it in his lap. I can remember times where I showed up looking just like this, wearing tennis shoes, jeans, and a shirt to preach, and uh, someone standing there looking like, wait, where's his tie? Or wait, he doesn't have a suit on. Uh, you know, and, and so here's the reality. Probably a large number of you have experienced judgment from someone that has been a religious judgment call. And really, this is what Jesus is experiencing. If you look at verses 39 through 40, he says, you guys are fools. He calls these guys who are supposed to lead the nation of Israel in the worship of God. He says, you guys 
are fools. You are foolish people. And he starts to talk to them about uh, this uh, cleaning of a cup. And he's like, you guys like clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's dirty. It's like you go get your chocolate milk and you drink that and you don't clean it. And then you go get your fruit smoothie and you fill it up and you drink that, but you don't clean it. All you do is just clean out the inside. You're like weeks and weeks of all kinds of junk. I mean, imagine the germs and the mold and all the stuff inside. He's like, you guys that are supposed to be leading the nation of Israel to worship God, you're just like that. He says, you're unclean and you're filled with filth inside, but you want to look good to everyone. So you clean up the outside. He says, because of that, you are fools. And with that, Jesus teaches that, yeah, we do good things on the outside, but none of those good things that we do on the outside are ever going to make us right with God. It all has to do with what's on the inside with our heart. And a right heart before God and with God is uh, greater than any good work done on the outside. The works done on the outside will not save you. The heart uh, for Jesus on the inside is what saves. So look at this list of woes. He launches into, and and whenever scripture, it says, whoa, you need to pay attention. It's like the most strongest verbal, I don't know, accusation or or calling someone on the carpet that you can have there. And and Jesus says six times, woe to you. Three to the Pharisees and three to uh, the scribes, uh, all of them religious leaders. Look at verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herb, every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. So here's woe number one. Woe number one is your priorities are upside down. Woe number one is your priorities are upside down. You're thinking, well, wait, they're tithing. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't we supposed to give money? Well, You can go to the Old Testament and you can read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can read God's commands to the nation of Israel. And yeah, you go to Deuteronomy 14 and he tells them some specifics. I want you to tithe and give a tenth of this and do this and give of your animals and give of your fruit and your crops. And there, but these Pharisees became experts in tithing. So, I mean, imagine us setting up a table up here today and you come up with your basket and you're like setting this stuff. There's a big old scale. I got my basil and my lemongrass and my parsley and sage and rosemary and thyme. You're doing all this stuff and you're putting on the scale. You're like, okay, wait. All right. Oh, there's 10%. I'm giving that to God. And you're, you're, you're going through the parsley. And you're like, man, I got a lot of parsley today. You're like, I'm giving a lot to God there. And then your neighbor shows up, says, hey, uh, neighbor, um, I know you're, you're busy there, but um, my family doesn't have any money today. I've got three kids. I've been trying. I, I need, can I borrow some money? Or, And you're like, you know what? Hold on. I'm giving to God. This is important. Okay, now let's go through my rosemary. And, and the neighbor's like, hey, we're really in need. And, and, and what's happening is like Jesus saying your priorities are upside down. And for them, the tradition had become and risen so high that he says you neglect justice and the love of God. Turn to Micah chapter six. Micah chapter six. <clears throat> it says this in verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good 
And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Hold that spot right there. What Jesus is trying to teach them and to teach us is don't become a lover of religion. Don't become a, a person who loves churchy things more than loving God and loving other people and making sure that justice is, uh, is upheld. And so the Pharisee who is so into tithing and is neglecting their neighbor, Christ is saying, you've got it all backwards and all wrong, and your tithing that is so important to you that you follow by the law does not worship me at all. Your priorities are upside down. Look at verse 43. The second well. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. So woe number two is you are full of pride. You ever run into that person that you're like, man, they are the most conceited person I've ever been around. And it's like, for some reason, it's like they, they're right, you know, to have this and that. But he's like, the Pharisees, these leaders of Israel that all the nation is looking to, to lead them in worship of God. He's like, man, you guys want everyone's attention. You want the spotlight. You want the microphone. It's like they want the best seats in church. And so, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been to church. I'm not, I, I'm not saying that those churches are full of it, but I'm picturing those churches that have those big old fancy seats up front. It's like those elaborate seats with the red velvet coverings on the seat there, and they're up front. And you're like, well, who sits there? Well, generally, it's a, 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 a deacon, elder, pastor, whatever. And not to say that they're trying to be prideful, but it's like Jesus saying, these guys want to be up there. They want the velvet-covered seats so that everyone watches them during worship. And everyone's watching. Are they raising their hands? Are they doing this? So they putting a big old wad of money in the, you know, the, the you know, that's the type of thing. He's like, they want attention. They love going to the marketplace. And everyone's like, oh, rabbi. And they're like, oh, yes. You know, and they're wearing the robes or whatever it may be. They want the attention. He's like, your heart is full of pride. Woe to you. And we go, oh, that has to do with religious leaders. But have you checked your heart lately? Are there areas of pride in our life as followers of Christ? And we're judgmental towards others of how we see people live and act during the week. And we're quick, oh gosh, that's horrible, Lord. And yet, we still battle with sin. He says, woe to you because you're full of pride. There's a Daniel chapter four, read Daniel chapter four this week. There's a, a king, his name's Nebuchadnezzar. And he is on top of his uh, house and he's looking out all across the land. And he has one of those uh, Tom Hanks moments uh, where on Castaway where he creates a fire. And he's like, look what I have created. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is like, whoa, look what I have done for my glory. And God will humble the prideful. And God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and says, you know what? Because you haven't given me the credit for all that you have, 
I'm going to humble you and I'm going to send you out and you're going to live like the cows in the field and you're going to eat the grass for a time period and your nails are going to grow like claws and you're going to have hair that just grows super long. And so for a time, a time period, Nebuchadnezzar was like away from his kingdom and he was like, hey, that's the crazy wild king. And look at him. He's out there eating grass. God humbled him. Then later you see that as he restores him, Nebuchadnezzar gives all the credit and glory to God. So examine your heart to see if we're like one of the Pharisees because God will humble the prideful. Look at the third one in verse 44. Verse 44 says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. So here's the third woe. You deceive your followers. The third woe is deceiving those who are following. That the Pharisees, again, they're holy leaders of Israel. And Jesus says, you know what? You guys are just like those graves over there. Those graves in the ground that people are walking by and, you know, you whitewash them so that people can see them. He says, you're just like those people. Now, in the law, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 19, there's a law that says, if you touch a grave... So, I mean, you just walk over the top of a grave, a dead person says, you're unclean for seven days. And he's like telling the Pharisees who know this, he's like, you guys are unclean. You're like, you're actually like those graves. I mean, this is like, I mean, imagine the offense that they're hearing in their ears from Jesus. <clears throat> and he says, not only are you unclean, but you infect everyone else. I was reading this week, uh, there's this Hungarian doctor, his name is I don't know how to pronounce it, Ignis Simmelweis. And in 1846, he was at a hospital, uh, specifically a maternity ward in Vienna. And all these babies kept dying. And they're like, why are these babies dying? And he began to study all kinds of reasons. Why was it this? No, it's not that. Is, it, is this going on over here? No, it's not. And he began to uh, notice how there were doctors who were delivering babies. <clears throat> over here, and a lot of babies were dying that were being delivered by doctors, but then there was all these midwives, and the babies were not dying, that the midwives, and he goes, there's something here, and, and he was trying to look at all these things, and what he realized one day was that the doctors would go and work on cadavers to study. They would then go and deliver a baby, and those germs that were on their hands would be transmitted to a baby and many of those babies got sick and died. The midnight wives were not. And so he said, we know that chlorine kills, so you're going to wash your hands in chlorine. He really was trying to get rid of the smell of formaldehyde and stuff like that. And we're going to clean all these instruments with chlorine. And the babies began to live and the death rate went down. He says, Jesus says to these guys, what you're doing by leading the nation of Israel to worship God is wrong. You're teaching them tradition and religion, and you're so filthy and unclean in your heart, and you're like an unmarked grave, and so when they follow you, you're making all of them unclean because you're teaching them to do something I never have taught and that's to be religious people over being people who worship God in spirit and truth. And so he says, you, woe to you because you deceive 
your followers. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Here's a great text for you to reflect on, to uh, pour over, to think upon with our hearts and how we worship and kind of a test for am I religious or am I following Christ and worshiping him? It says in verses 1 and 2, Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you go back to what Jesus said, as your light, as your eyes take in the light, it affects your heart. And so therefore, the transformed heart has to do with good eyes and the light of Jesus Christ. A flawed eye that's focused on religion will only put darkness in your heart and how you live. And it is not what God has called us to do. So he says these woes to the Pharisees and the scribes, they're offended. Jesus, what you say is so offensive to us. He goes, oh, you know what? I forgot. Let me add you guys too. I got three for you guys. And he's like, launches out these woes. Again, you've got the Pharisees uh, that they're leading. And you've got these scribes who they these guys now that he gives the woes to, they're experts. They've memorized the law. They know it in and out. And so if you got a question, hey, did I break the law? They're like, hey, come over here. I'll tell you if you broke the law or not. And he's like, hey, let me give you guys some attention here. And we see in verses 45 through 54, Woe number four is this. You crush people with religious laws. You crush people with religious laws. You ever, uh, uh, or, or just think about, it. if you've been a part of a gathering of religious people, and to think for a minute, they, uh, people who've added to the word of God, or they've heaped upon, you gotta, you got to sit this way at church, you've got to wear this uh, length of dress, you've got to do this, you know, you gotta, you got you to cross your fingers when you do, you know, when you pass, you know, it's all these things, and sometimes there's maybe not even said out loud, but you see everyone in church doing like, oh, I guess I got to do that. I have to stand because everyone's standing during this song right now. Or I have to you know, sit because no one else is standing during this time. And I can't raise my hands right now, even though the word of God is like working in my heart. I want to just praise Jesus because no one else is right. You know, and on and on the list of things we could go on. The scribes had added 613 613 laws on top of all the commands in the first five books of the Bible that God gave the people. So they added all kinds of laws and in it they had 365 laws that were negative ones and they had 248 positive laws and they told the nation of Israel, here you need all these laws because God's law needs some help here. And imagine yourself trying to worship and please God. And you see all these laws. You're like, no way. I already can't even do what God's asking me to do. Imagine the weight. And Jesus says, woe to you because you crush people with uh, religious laws. And really, as I reflected on that woe, I would say that that's a great summary 
of religion. That whether someone tries to impose that on you or you come up with your own set of rules, religion is a set of rules. And yes, we have God's commands. He's given us how we are to follow him. He's called us to obey him. But religion is this set of laws that are set upon us that you can never hold to. But yet many people think that if I do this, 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 and this right, then God will love me. And that's so of the enemy. That's so of Satan. You need to know that God loves you even though you were an enemy of him and a sinner, that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, who would die on a cross in your place for your sins, that he would be buried in a tomb and that three days later he'd rise from death to life and that he's ascended to heaven. He's ruling and reigning now and he's actually promised he's coming back. Faith in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he's done is what saves. Religious laws do not save. And so he says, woe to you scribes who crush people with religious laws. It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan we've looked at before. The guy was beaten by thieves. He was left to die. You've got a Levite, a religious guy coming up from the tribe of Levi in Israel, and he sees him, walks around. You've got a priest who then comes up. One of these guys, these experts, you know, the law, he walks up, he sees the guy beaten on the ground, he walks around him. And it was neither one of the religious leaders was Jesus when he teaches that parable. It's the third guy who comes along, the Samaritan, who's not a part of Israel, and he stops and helps the guy, calling people to love your neighbor. And I always wondered, did that Levite, did that uh, priest, were they too busy with religion to stop and help that guy? Oh, I've got my, I've got my herbs with me. I've got to go tithe at the temple today. I have no time to help this bleeding, dying guy right here. But that's really, again, a picture um, of people who are religious versus uh, people who worship God. Look at verse 47. He says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Now this one's a little uh, different, a little bit, maybe it's uh, harder to understand there, but he says, Woe number five is this, you condone murder, is how I summed it up. But what we have a picture of, he's like, hey, you guys are building these things to acknowledge the prophets before you, but by what you are doing in your religion, you're condoning what your fathers did. So if you read through the Old Testament, there's a number of prophets that God sends to the nation of Israel. And he sends the prophets for the purpose to tell the people, here's God's laws. You have broken them. You are in sin. You need to repent or the judgment of God is going to come upon you. And you read through the Old Testament and you see how the nation of Israel rejected the prophets and they put them to death and they did not want to listen to God's word for them. And here he tells the Pharisees, just because you're acknowledging them, and be, but because of what you're doing, you're acting just like your fathers and condoning them. And when you take it to the extreme of the Pharisees, they had the greatest prophet ever before them. Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet, speaking the greatest truth of God's word 
They saw the miracles. They witnessed what he did. He displayed and showed himself that he was not only the greatest prophet, but he is the greatest savior because he is God. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were the ones who called for his crucifixion. The people that were entrusted to lead the people in worship of God were the people who called for the murder of God. And he says, you're just like your fathers. It doesn't matter what you're doing. <clears throat> Today, we have some Christian schools. We have Christian seminaries. We have Christian churches that sometimes act just like this. Oh, we don't need um, the Old Testament because it's kind of outdated. Uh, we don't need to pay attention to this. You know, we're, we're just going to kind of just uh, do this and that with church. And, and let's, you know, we really don't need to go through the Word of God. Let's just uh, focus on, you know, some good things here and there. And um, there's many in this world who say that they're for Christ, but act just like these religious leaders. And Jesus says, woe to you. Let's look at the last one. <clears throat> Verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Again, put yourself in their shoes. You've been given the greatest responsibility in the world. You've been given a key, and the key that you have is one that unlocks all the truth about the universe, the Word of God. And what you do with the key is you hide it, stick it in your back pocket. You don't even use it. And everyone wants to know the truth, but you got the key and you hide it. And that's what he says. Woe number six is you don't teach the truth of God's word. You don't teach the truth of God's word. Or you're like a false teacher and you just teach all kinds of false things with it. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you were given God's word. You were given the responsibility to lead the people, to unlock the truth, to teach them the word of God. And you put the key in your back pocket and took it away from them so that they would not have a correct understanding of the truth of the knowledge of God. <clears throat> Experts in God's law. Yet they used it as a weapon to beat people up instead of teaching them about the grace of and mercy and the love of God Almighty. And it's one of those things where it's not just woe to the Pharisees, but it's woe to any person in this world today who's been given the truth of God's word. It's been revealed to you. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and you just decide, hey, I've got the key to eternal life. And you know what? I'm just, I, I'm not going to study it. I'm not going to read it or I'm not going to share it with anyone. Because one of the greatest things that we have is a plane flies over again. Is as a follower of Christ, we have been brought to a point of faith in the truth of God's word, of what saves. And probably one of the greatest challenges is us saying something about it to other people.
and we become really good at the Bible. And we, I, I read through the Bible this year. I did it twice. I memorized 30 verses. I did, you know, I went to this small group and we, and we become experts on God's word, but yet we never say anything to our neighbor, our coworker, our schoolmate, our teacher, the person at the store, because if for some reason there's a fear or whatever it may be, or we don't know how to say it. And it's like, we don't want to be religious people who just know God's word and never speak the truth to other people. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26, he was talking about how Christ brought him to faith. And he says, God called him in Acts 26, 18 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And what he was saying is he was recalling what Jesus said to him is I'm sending you apostle Paul to go tell people about the cross and the empty tomb and that their sins can be removed and they can have eternal life and they can be brought into the kingdom and adopted as their own and he says you need to go and share the gospel and all open their eyes and turn them away from the darkness and bring them into the light that's what the apostle paul said christ told him on the road to damascus and i would say that that's what christ has told all of us who would say we have faith in jesus christ you too are to go and to proclaim the gospel so that the light would be driven into the hearts of people living in darkness by the Holy Spirit, revealing to them the truth of God's word. So we come back to where we started with the big idea. The big idea is this. Woe to all who put their hope in religion rather than hope in Jesus. So my question for you this morning, and I, I am never amazed anymore of being in churches with people that have been in churches all their life. And all they have become is a religious person and someone coming to faith after they've been in church for years and they know the Bible, but all they've been is a religious person and there's never been a heart change. And so either you're in the religious category or maybe you're not even religious and you're just far from God. Uh, but we could talk another day that God's created us to worship. And so you're worshiping something. And then there's people who have faith in Christ. And I think there's a battle, even for those who have faith in Christ, to keep getting rid of tradition and the religious stuff out of your life. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. If you're stuck in the religion area, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Imagine those words of life to people who are following the religious leaders, trying to uphold God's law and 600-something other laws. What? Your yoke is easy, it's light? I want rest. I'm worn out because I can't fulfill another one of these laws. And Jesus says, come to me. And that's what he calls you and I to do. So we've been asking every week, how does this apply to my life? What do I do with this? This is a, another thing of Jesus saying, what are those Pharisees and religion and all this? What do I do with it? And I say this is we don't want to be blinded by religion. So don't neglect your heart because things that you see in this world are, will lie to you. 
And so we need to see the light of Christ, the truth of his word, and bring that in through our eyes so that our heart is continually being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, And please pray that you don't mistake religious actions for loving God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 are very clear that we're saved through faith, not by works. You're saved by faith in Christ, not by giving, not by serving the church, not by church attendance, not by supporting missionaries. You're saved by faith in Christ. He goes on in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, verse 10, that we were created to do good works, but those good works are good works following after faith in Christ. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As the worship team comes forward, as we take a moment to reflect on what we've read in God's word, as we take a moment to search our hearts, uh, may we ask the tough questions. Am I just focused on doing some good works so that God's pleased with me? Or do I already know that God is pleased with me because I have faith in him and I'm one of his children? I'd say for many Christians, your battle is trying to do something to have God please you because you haven't been knowledgeable enough in God's word that he's pleased with you after he saves you and he adopts you as his own. And if you're far from God today and you've been living the religion, I don't care what religion you've been going after, you may have invented the religion. None of the religious traditions of this world will ever bring uh, safety to you, will ever save you, will ever give you eternal life. Every single religion and religious act and moral work that you think is, is good will not do anything for you but lead you to death. Father, I pray that this morning that we would be people who know your truth, that we would be people who know you, Jesus, the light uh, of this world. We pray and ask that this morning that your words, which we have read, which you spoke to the Pharisees, which you were teaching would sear into our hearts and that you would help us to not be religious people, but that we would be followers of Christ, that we'd be children of God, that we would praise your name for eternity and that all that we would do, that we would consider good works would be motivated by your spirit because we love you, not because we're obligated to. Father, I pray for any who are far from you and have only ever chased after rules, who have only ever chased after religion. I pray today that you would shine your light into their eyes, into their heart, and they would see you, Jesus, and they would see your love, your grace, and your mercy, and they would profess their faith in you, that you are God, and that you are our only Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.